Y'all, we appreciate Samuel Merritt University so much for continuing to help keep this podcast going. They want us to tell you about their new Advance Your Practice Scholarship. They're offering a $10,000 scholarship to anyone who enrolls in their MSN, DNP, or Family Nurse Practitioner programs. Samuel Merritt University has been educating nurses for over 100 years. If you're interested in getting more information about the programs, you can visit them at fnp.samuelmerritt.edu and show them how much you appreciate them for sponsoring our podcast. That's fnp.samuelmerritt.edu. And as always, we'll put that link on our website at goodnursebadnurse.com. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there. And you can also see what they pay, the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. I'm a travel nurse now with Trusted Health, and I absolutely love working for them. So go to trustedhealth.com, be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today. everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back for another week of true crime and nursing and healthcare and all kinds of stuff. Maybe a little controversy every now and then. Who knows? We have a great show planned for you guys this week. Really frustrating story, but I love getting into the stories like this. So I will have to give you a little trigger warning. There is some gun violence. So I always like to just warn you guys. It's disturbing what happened. So just to let you know. And I want to welcome my guest host for this week. Very, very special guest host. So happy to finally get her on here, Nurse Sam. Hey, Nurse Sam, how are you? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You guys are in for a real treat because our good nurse story is going to be centered around Nurse Sam. And this is the reason why she is an LPN and she has worked so hard, basically advocating for LPNs everywhere. And I want you to hear her story. I want you to hear all of the amazing things. She is so talented. You are not even going to believe all the stuff that she's done. I appreciate you taking time out of all of that to come on to our podcast. Well, I guess we can get into this story. Might as well get this part over with. It is pretty dark, but I'm telling you, I've this is one of those stories that I just get mad at. I mean, absolutely so frustrated. I'm just so sick of it. All of the it's it is, you know, violence against women, inconsistencies in our criminal justice system. I'm just over it, but we're gonna tackle another story because I'm not gonna stop talking about this stuff. As frustrating and as difficult it is, as it is to talk about some of these things that have happened. So this is the story of Vizu Villingham. He went by Vizu Villa. Vi, you guys, I've said this so many times on my podcast. No one with names like Jones or Smith ever does anything wrong. It is always somebody with a name that I cannot pronounce to save my life. So I, you know, sorry if I'm getting the name wrong. Usually it's, you know, it is the bad nurse or bad doctor. So honestly, I don't feel that bad, really. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're going to call him Visu for short, just to make it a little easier on us. He was a pain medicine uh, specialist in Nashville, Tennessee, my stomping grounds. He had been married to his wife just about a year. A year. Mm-hmm. Not long. Not long, Sam. And their marriage started to deteriorate. So his wife had recently immigrated to the United States with her mother. 
And so they were living in Germantown, which is a suburb of Memphis, Tennessee. His wife filed for divorce in the mid-80s. And as we know, we've done so many stories on this podcast about women who have tried to leave their significant others, their spouse, you know, anybody, somebody they're in a relationship with. I'm telling you what, there are so many of them that I have to kind of put them on the back burner. I find them all the time, all the time when I'm trying to research for stories. And I have to put them on the back burner because I'm like, well, I've already done several of those in a row. So, I, you know, we try to mix it up a little bit. Right. They're everywhere. I feel like that's the, like that's the basis of like 80% of like lifetime movies. Like that's just the thing that happens for some reason. But the fact that that's a thing and it continues to be a thing. It's just, I, I totally understand when you say it's just so frustrating and it just, and for me to be married, <laughs> it's just even more frustrating. Cause I'm just like, really after a year, honestly, it's, it's hard not to put yourself in that position. Like, hmm, when I was a year in, what did I do? What did my spouse do that really pissed me off? And mm-hmm. did I want to take this route? Like the answer is no. Okay. So it's just, it's frustrating. It is. Well, heaven forbid a woman wants to file for divorce or or separate from a man. You know, that's just not acceptable to some men. So anyway, as his wife was preparing to separate from him, he decided to pull out a gun and shoot her in the head and then proceed to turn the gun on his mother-in-law. He killed his wife and mother-in-law because she wanted to divorce him. So this was back in the mid-80s. He immediately claimed insanity. So I guess temporary insanity. Right. That's, is that the thing to do? I guess, you know, what else, what other defense would you have? I really, I mean, in that situation, he was ultimately convicted. I mean, he's convicted of two counts of second degree murder and was issued a sentence of 20 years in prison for both murders. Here's the thing, though. He was released early from prison in 1993. This happened in the mid 80s. That's not um, very I'm long. I was just about to ask you. I was like, wait, when did he go in? I mean, we're talking about five, six years at the most that he wow. served. Yes. Wow. He actually served approximately four to five years of his sentence. There's some varying reports of that. But I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm so tired of doing these stories where not only are... And look, I've done many stories also of women doing this sort of thing, too. That women can do this too. They can be very controlling. Women can also be very, you know, mad and jealous and do crazy things when their spouse or significant other tries to leave them. I I don't try to pretend like that doesn't happen on both sides. But if you look at the statistics, it is jarring how many times this happens. It's so, so drastically, drastically heavier on one side than the other. That is insane. What was his full sentence? What was it supposed to be? Well, it was supposed to be 20 years, which I, it's two murders. Okay. So he gets convicted of two counts, two counts of second degree, not one, but two counts of second degree murder. And he gets 20 years. Not Their lives, that's, yes, that is according to our criminal justice system in the state of Tennessee at the time, that's what those two women's lives were worth. 10 lives each, 10 years each. Right, Exactly. But not even because he didn't even serve those 10. So really, on paper, their lives were worth 10 years each. But for good faith and measure, two, two and a half. 
Exactly. That's exactly right. But let it have been well, in reverse. Let it have been a female. Oh, oh forget that. Mm-hmm. She would probably still be. <laughs> She'll probably still be there to this day. Under the already, prison. Yeah. If not already dead, she would probably still be there. But okay. That's insane. Well, he didn't waste time after getting released from prison. He immediately reapplied for his medical license that was previously suspended, suspended upon his guilty verdict. The state of Tennessee allowed him a limited license the same year before reinstating it in its entirety in 2001. 2001 was not that long ago. I'm sorry, but it just wasn't. We're not talking about the dark ages here. 2001, our medical board in the great state of Tennessee thought it was a great idea. Uh, just a fabulous idea to give this man back his medical license. Wow. In its entirety. Oh, yeah. No limitations. Because apparently our state law does not prohibit doctors with previous convictions from possessing a medical license as all cases are brought before the Board of Medical Examiners and it's the decision of the board to determine eligibility on a case-by-case review. And I don't think that that is unreasonable. I really don't. I understand people do things and I am all for rehabilitation. I'm pro-rehabilitation. I've talked about that a lot of times on this podcast about nurses and doctors who've messed up, you know, maybe got addicted to to opioids or, you know, just messed up in their lives. I've messed up in my life. I've, we've all done things. So I'm not again. I mean, I haven't done that. That's, I'm going right. to go, I'm going to have to say, I haven't done that one. Right. I think our mess ups <laughs> are like, yeah. so, I think our mess ups are pretty forgivable. And I can understand having it to you know, I don't like arbitrary rules that are just like all are go- all people are, you know, banned for life from this. And I don't like that. I do like that, you know, there is a board and they will determine eligibility on a case by case review. But OK, look at this case. Are you kidding me? The people on this board? The, really? Who was on the board at this time? I need your I name. I would love to know that. I yeah. need your names and numbers. <laughs> because That is insane. Well, he packed up and relocated east. He settled in Nashville and resumed practicing medicine. He jo- Can you imagine being a patient of this person? Uh, if he found out like what he had done. He stayed in Tennessee. Yes. He was just, he just went from Memphis to Nashville. When you said he packed up and went east, I was like, okay. So he went. Like the Middle East. <laughs> right. I was like, okay. So he like went, I don't know. I don't know how much more east you can go, like maybe Two South hours. Carolina. <laughs> like, no, he went across I-85. Like, he just <laughs> went right there. He wrote, drove two hours and no. decided this is a great place to settle right like, here. You know, my enemies are not after me at this point. Two hours in, I'm clear. Yeah, and apparently that was fine. He was running his clinics. He was he joined the dating scene. He got married to a woman by the name of Muriel Lalane. She was also a doctor. The couple operated a pain clinic in Nashville together and continued to be business partners after their marriage ended. So according to reports, their clinic was one of the top painkiller prescribers in Tennessee. We've done so many stories on this podcast about doctors and nurse practitioners and physician assistants who have gotten in lots of trouble for overprescribing opioids and other, you know, 
medicines. It's a big deal right now. And we continue to warn providers. We're always warning nurses who are listening. If you're getting your going to get your advanced degree and you're going to be prescribing medications, you better be aware of what could happen to you. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Litman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Litman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it. And she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes this stethoscope so amazing. Uh, You can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. Welcome, Leah. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about your experience with CBD Stat. Which product do you actually use? So there's four products, the roll-on, the cream, the salve, and the oil. The two that I use every day are the cream and the oil. What is your biggest benefit? How does it help you? The cream I put on every day after work. I'll shower and then I'll put it on my feet just to help my arches. No more shin splints, just my feet feel more comfortable. And the cream has been a lifesaver there. And then I use the oil to help me sleep. So I just switched jobs. I had been working nights for the last eight years. So the oil was huge on helping me come home and actually get quality of sleep throughout the day. And I wake up feeling well-rested and not groggy like some other medications have made me feel in the past. I didn't realize that about the feet. And I have plantar fasciitis. So now I literally cannot wait to get off here and go try that. And then just the sleep benefit, that one is definitely well known. I hear that a lot in the feedback that I've gotten. As you guys know, their products are 100% THC free. CBD Stat has a team of engineers that invented a very unique and efficient process to produce CBD isolate, which is the purest form of CBD. They only offer very strong products greater than a thousand milligrams. If you guys are interested in CBD stat in their product, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. Be sure and put the forward slash good nurse, bad nurse in there so they know that we sent you there. cbdstat.care. Be sure and put .care instead of .com forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. You know, I used to work in a private practice, like pain clinic. I don't know if it was just his job or maybe because I was just the field that I was working in pain management. And But we would just hear about these like independent pain clinics locally, like around. They were just getting busted, 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 busted all over. And so this this doesn't surprise me. What does surprise me is that he got married again. He got married again. And not only did he get married again, the marriage ended. So I'm trying to figure out 
Who Maybe he learned his enough? lesson from the first one because he didn't, you know, somehow Maybe he was let the one that True. Because yeah. if it was me, if I had the balls to marry a known and convicted. I wonder if she knew. How do you not know? Maybe she didn't. Maybe two hours was far enough for her. <laughs> you got to think, too. You know, this is back in the 90s. The Internet was not really it was around, but it, not everybody was on the Internet looking people up and, you know, looking into background checks and all that stuff. So maybe maybe she didn't know. Maybe she knew and didn't care. Maybe she, maybe he convinced her that whatever the story is out there is not the way it really happened. That's And we know that's what they do. Yep. Maybe he gaslit her and, you know, it's not real, it's not real, it's not real. Or maybe he's just the one that had the control and say so. It was just like, you're not leaving unless either I tell you that you can leave or I leave you or whatever the case may be. That's the only two scenarios I see that happening to where she's alive right now. Yeah, exactly. Well, there was another prescriber at this clinic that was documented as regularly providing patients with more than five times the recommended dose of OxyContin. So this, the doctor that he had married and then separated from, Lelaine, was reported as having written more than 6,500 OxyContin prescriptions for more than 300,000 pills over the course of three years. It's a lot. It's a lot of opioids. The patients at their clinic primarily paid in cash of for course. the office visits. Mm-hmm. That's how that works. And use their 10 care coverage. Now, here's the thing, though. You can't be using 10 care. 10 care is basically like Medicare, but like the state version. You can't be using these, you know, f- federally funded programs. The feds are going to get after your butt. They are not going to let you get away with this stuff. At all. The pharmacist is barely going to let you get away with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah, we did a story a couple of weeks ago where there was actually a pharmacist involved. So, and actually there was an LPN involved because it was like a doctor and he had an LPN that worked for him. And then there was a pharmacist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You just get the whole gang together and you think, well, nobody's going to rat each other out, but they always rat you out. So, don't, you guys, I keep warning you, don't be doing this stuff. You got, you're going to get caught. You're going to get caught. Don't do it. Don't do it. All the time. It's Man. tempting, but don't do it. Every time you write a prescription, they can pull it up on the website and they can see oh, yeah. who um, wrote it to, for how many, when they filled it, when the patient filled it. So they can see and anybody with, well, you have to be your actual provider with the password and like the username to this website. But it's basically all providers have to use it whenever they're prescribing like controlled substances and the pharmacy has to see it and use it and pull it up every time they, they fill it. So a lot of times, a lot of these like doctors and nurses and pharmacists, they have to be working together because there's so many stops right. before, you know, the FBI, whoever is like alerted. But it's like, OK, by the time it li- literally gets to them, it's like 10 people involved because it's like, OK, how did they get away from you? So how did you let 200 oxycodone slide within a week? You filled 200 last week. So what makes you think it's okay to fill 200 more this week? And the thing is this, you know, and this is back in the day. So it's probably before a lot of these checks were in place. It was probably going flying under the radar a little bit. They don't fly under the radar anymore, guys. They don't. So don't think you can get away with this. They are watching everything that you do. I'm telling you. So they really are. So there were patients that would travel nearly five hours 
from Harlan, Kentucky to see these providers at this clinic. The small town of Harlan is home to approximately 2,000 residents. 350 of the residents were prescribed opioids from these providers. The opioids were being sold by the patients and were contributing to the opioid epidemic in this small Kentucky town. This really breaks my heart, Sam, because I live in Appalachia area. I live in the uh, Knoxville area. Just I've taken care of lots of patients in the Appalachia area. This wonderful, sweet patient population. And it breaks my heart to think about people taking advantage of these people. But that's exactly what's happening. And they're getting addicted to these drugs. And then as time goes on, they have to have more and more and more. And that's that's basically what's happening. Also, I feel bad because there are people who legitimately have pain issues that need pain medication and can't get them because doctors and and providers are too scared to prescribe them. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I've been on both. Well, obviously not the seeking side of the fence, but I've been on both sides of the fence from a from the perspective that a I used to work in pain management. So I saw a little bit of everything, to be honest. I saw a little bit of everything. And then on the other side of the fence, you know, I suffer from endometriosis and a chronic pain syndrome, basically. So I was also the person that was needing these medications, not as strong, but needing pain management, but having these doctors and everyone else be so scared to even treat me because with endometriosis, it's not something... It's not something that's on the outside. You don't look sick. Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't match, if you say, okay, my t- my pain's a whatever, and it doesn't look like it matches what, the, what they see on the outside, it's going to be a quick red flag on their mind just because they're so used to people saying, oh, I have pain where? All over, but you don't literally look like it. And so, you know, the people, aka me at the time, When I was really needing pain management, I can't tell you how many times I was like shunned or was just immediately labeled as like a seeker or frequent flyer, whatever the case may be. So it's definitely something to where everybody suffers from the people that actually need medication to the people that are actually abusing it. Because like you said, once they start abusing it, they're eventually going to need more and more and more. And then eventually they're going to go through withdrawals. And it's just a bad cycle. Yeah. And there's some people that will take those prescriptions and sell them. They take the medication and then just they're not even taking maybe they're not taking them themselves even. But and this was happening then at this particular clinic. But the doctors said that they were not aware that their patients were selling the prescriptions. And they said that they believed the patients made the trip to the clinic due to the how affordable it was for their services and that they promised to be treated by a doctor and not a physician's assistant. So I love that. because. Uh, yeah, I, that's just so frustrating, too, because they're both providers. They're both a completely educated and capable. You know, once again, it's very similar to the idea of an LPN versus an RN versus a BSN, whatever. And whatever path that you get to the point that you, if you're a physician assistant, you're a nurse practitioner, advanced practice nurse, uh, medical doctor, DO, those, all of them are providers at certain levels. And if you go the NP route, you go the PA route, you go the MD route, but you are all doing internal medicine, you're all doing family me- practice medicine, whatever it is you're doing. You've all been educated to that level. It's so frustrating because, you know, one is trying to step on the toes of the other or trying to be like, you're not legitimate, you know, and yeah, they're all legitimate. 
there, and yes, there's going to be some bad, some good, you know, some that are going to be better than others. That's just the way it is. Right. And statements like these from patients like, oh, I don't want to be seen by a physician assistant. I don't want to be seen by a student, whatever. I want to be seen by a doctor. I want to be seen by. And like you were saying before, that's just due to lack of education and ignorance on the patient's part. But that and in turn, that seeps in that kind of like incepts the minds of everyone in the room, whether that's the PA or the doctor, maybe it's the nurse or maybe it's the family member. When they hear that talk, they think, okay, so subconsciously no one's good enough, but the doctor. So then they take that. And that's kind of like how that, that one statement can play telephone. And like now everybody else is like, okay, physician assistants aren't as good as doctors. And now somebody else may say the exact same thing, but then they're not really even knowing why they're saying that. Oh, I want to see a doctor. Why? I I heard my aunt say it. It's just a perception. And in this particular reason, I'm willing to bet that the only reason why at that point, and I'm not sure, and, and it's a, education thing. The only reason why people would be like, oh, I don't want to see a physician assistant. I want to see a doctor at this pain clinic. It's probably because they didn't think physician assistants or physician assistants can't write for controlled substances. So that's like, I want to see a doctor that can write for everything, not a physician assistant that has to go and talk to someone and get somebody else to write first. No, I want to see someone that can do the whole thing. Yeah. And it's all misinformation. And I think that we all need to do a better job of educating the general public about what all these healthcare professionals do and what their scope of practice is and how just their actual little letters that come after their name is not necessarily an indication of how good of a medical provider that they are or a healthcare provider that they are. So it it really, it's an individual thing as to, you know, no, no matter what path you took to get there, it's an individual thing as to how good of a, of a healthcare provider you are in, as an individual. And so the Tennessee Attorney General submitted a lawsuit against the manufacturer and supplier of OxyContin, Purdue Pharma. The lawsuit indicates that the drug manufacturer deliberately ignored the warnings from pharmacies and police about the prescribers and continued to supply them with medications. So the report also accuses the pharmaceutical company of pressuring the doctors to prescribe large quantities of pills and higher doses. Purdue issued a statement denying the state's allegations and attest that they advised the prescribers of all the approved information by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. So I, I think this is probably when a lot of this stuff was changing. A lot of this stuff is going on. People were really finding out like, you know, just because you're, you've been prescribed a medication doesn't mean you can't get addicted to it. Doesn't mean it's safe to take as much as you want, as whenever you want. I think there was a time, maybe this was about when that, those tables were turning. When yeah. people just thought, oh, it's a prescription medication. It's just not bad. Mm-hmm. So the FDA is like, no, you, this is not safe. Have you seen the show Dope Sick? I have not. I've been wanting to see this. Have you seen it? Yeah. It's basically about this. Well, not the guy, <laughs> but it's basically about Purdue Pharma and them just being super shady and doing whatever it takes and no matter who it kills, no matter what to sell their sell Oxycontin, like they're pushing prescribers to sell pills and pills and pills, even though they were, you know, either whether it was shady or not shady, they were just, you know, either for the shady ones, they were saying just, you know, 
prescribed more, prescribed more, prescribed more. For the ones that were like at least semi-legit, they were just saying, okay, they were just making stronger pills. They were just making like, I think at the time the show began with like 20 milligrams, 40 milligrams. By the time it ended, it was like at 100 or something like that. So it's just the different ways. It's actually, it's really good, especially like with us being nurses and stuff like that. It was a good show. I have to look that up. I've heard more than one person say that. I talk about that show, Dope Sick. And so I want to go and, and watch that and see what that's all about. Mm-hmm. It'll definitely remind you how business is, especially big pharma. Mm, how powerful. Yeah, how powerful they Very are. Very powerful. The influence that they've had over people's lives. It's so scary. Well, there were some reports that said Visu allegedly informed Purdue Pharma's sales representatives that one of his patients had died from an opioid overdose and inquired about studies performed on the highest dose of OxyContin. So the lawsuit alleges that the inquiry did little to deter Purdue from continuing to contact the doctors for sales. The lawsuit indicated that the doctors were contacted at least 48 times after being warned by police. The calls stopped only when the doctors were arrested in February of 2009. I bet that's exactly what that is all about, really. Yeah, really. That's 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 exactly what it's like. Even in the show, like people, the people that were dying, the police department would go and investigate their deaths and stuff like that in Pardue and the doctors would somehow like couple it with they had hypertension or like some other like, mm. you know, comorbidity or whatever. So it doesn't it wouldn't look like, OK, the reason that they died is because they took our drug, but we didn't label it right. You know, all, all these crazy things at the time in the show, they were just saying that, OK, you can safely take as much as you want. And that's not accurate. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Obviously. And they were also saying that this isn't a drug that you can get hooked on. That was the big thing. Like, this is not a drug that you get dependent on. This does not cause you to get addicted. And that was also a lie. And we all know that. Fast forward 20 years later, we all know better than that, don't we? Fast forward two weeks later after that came out in the show, people were like dropping like flies. It was like, it was a really good show. Well, Visu and Lelaine were extradited to Kentucky. They were charged with multiple felony charges of organized crime and drug trafficking that would have resulted in 80 years of incarceration if convicted. Kentucky prosecutors initially also charged Lelaine with murder due to a patient's overdose, but the charges were dropped due to an Alford plea agreement. You know, the Alford plea. I always think of the staircase. Have you ever watched the staircase? Oh, Uh so creepy. So a spoiler alert here, but he did the Alford plea, which basically says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'll, I'll accept your deal. And basically saying, I accept that, that you're saying that I'm guilty, but I'm not going to say that I'm guilty. It's kind of what it's saying, you know. I was about to say, the staircase, did we ever, did he ever officially say that he did it? It was an Alford plea. No, it was literally what this is. It's basically saying, I feel like you have enough evidence against me that you could convict me and I don't want to be convicted. So I will plea this, but I'm not admitting that I did anything wrong. So that's kind of what they did. They were both convicted of a misdemeanor charge for facilitating drug trafficking and sentenced to four months of probation. They attempted to reinstate their medical license in 2011, but the request was not approved. Can you believe that? (laughs) Is there anything that you could do to... (laughs) 
not get your medical license back. Apparently, the opioid prescribing of opioids is more important than shooting your wife and mother-in-law. Did you see my face when it said that the felony charges would have resulted in 80 years of incarceration of drug trafficking? But he just... It's wrong. It's just wrong. It's hard to understand. I mean, hopefully we're getting past this to where I think that a lot of people's eyes have been open to injustices in our criminal justice system. And so, you know, we have talked about a lot on this podcast about our criminal justice system. It's not that I am completely against it or anything, you know, like that. I think there are a lot of good people in our criminal justice system, and there's a lot of well-meaning people that want to do the right thing. You know, they have the right intentions, but it's made up of human beings. Like any system, especially some large system, there's always going to be some flaws. And when there is a large system, it's going to be heavily backed and heavily funded. It's the systems are going to be, I mean, the flaws are going to be a little bit more obvious to some, but because it is a large system, like you said, there's there's good people in place. So it's not like it's everything's corrupt, but it would be naive of us to not see any similarities between the justice system and the healthcare system. Yeah. And I mean, you stop and think about what's going on right now in Nashville, Tennessee, where Donna Vaught, the nurse from Vanderbilt, who made a medication error back in 2017 and was arrested, arrested for making a medication error. It did result in a patient's death. And she has to live with that every single day for the rest of her life. It was an error. It was human error. And they have arrested her and are charging her criminally as if she was just out there committing a felony and in the process or just, you know, just completely negligent or she's doing her job and made a mistake and she's being charged criminally for it. It's so frustrating. It's almost I feel like things like that is why like the Alfred plea like exists. It's almost like like when you're innocent and when you're. When you make a mistake, it's like people try to like almost like vilify you and just like try to make you seem like, oh, you should have been perfect. This mistake should have never happened to where you're like freaked out about making a mistake. But then when you're super willing to cause harm and you're willing to, especially if you're willing to say, yep, I did it. I don't care. It's almost like, okay, we don't care about the damage you did, but we care more about the time that you're wasting of ours of trying to prove whether or not you did it or not. So if you, whether you did it or not, I don't care, but lie to me and say that you did do it or didn't do it or whatever. That's what I really, what I care about. So. Yep. That's about the long and short of it right there. Pretty much. It's like you did it. Okay, good. Whatever it is, what it is. But if you go ahead and you shorten this now so I can make tea time by five, I'll get you two months probation. And it's as if we're not dealing with people's lives, human beings' lives here. But that's exactly what we're dealing with. And and we have to always try to keep this out there, keep people aware. I, I will mention that Rodonda Vaught's hearing, or her jury trial, her actual jury trial is coming up in March, March 21st in Nashville, Tennessee. If you guys, I plan on being there. I would love to see anybody there who, I, I don't even know if it's open, the actual trial is open to the public, but I will be there one way or another if I don't have to sit on the steps of the courthouse <laughs> outside waiting, I will be there to just support her because I really 100% believe that she should not have been charged with reckless homicide and neglect uh, uh, and abuse of an elder 
person or whatever she was charged with ridiculous charges. So I will definitely be there March 21st. If you guys want to be there, I'll be there. You know, I was talking to another nurse today who's been a nurse for over 40 years, and we were talking about how even with everything that's going on right now, we are still really happy and proud that we became nurses. But you know what? I wasn't always this confident, and I remember when I graduated from nursing school how scary it was, and I was wondering what it was going to be like when I got on the floor and started working. Am I going to be supported? Are there going to be experienced nurses there to help me to learn and grow? I know now that I should have started my nursing career with a nurse residency program. HCA Healthcare has a wonderful nurse residency program that's going to help you build your confidence with hands-on clinical experience while also helping you develop your critical thinking skills. You're going to be supported by a community of experienced nurses and fellow nurse residents. And becoming a nurse resident with HCA Healthcare comes with other great benefits, tuition reimbursement, student loan assistance, clear career pathways to help you achieve your professional goals, access to company-wide clinical education programs, build a foundation for your career at any of HCA Healthcare's 100 and 84 hospitals across 19 states. Like I said, if I could go back and give myself any advice, it would have been to apply to the nurse residency program at HCA Healthcare. They accept applications from nursing students who are preparing to graduate within the next six months or graduate nursing students who have six months or less of experience when they apply. Learn today at careers.hcahealthcare.com slash residency. Again, that's careers.hcahealthcare.com slash residency. HCA Healthcare is an equal opportunity employer. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house. So it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. So I'd like to get started on our good nurse story. I'm really excited about this, Sam. I worked for, let's say I started working in back in June at a little hospital in middle Tennessee as a travel nurse. It was my first position as a travel nurse. And there were lots of LPNs that worked there. I had never worked with LPNs before because the hospital where I worked basically kind of phased them out. And they there were a couple that that I've worked with, but they worked as CNAs because they weren't allowed to work at the bedside as nurses, which is really sad. Once I've worked with these LPNs and realized what awesome nurses they are, and we have such a shortage of nurses, it really baffles the mind. But when I saw all of that you were doing on social media to advocate for LPNs and basically just be a voice for a lot of LPNs out there who probably are kind of afraid to speak up, maybe. I know some LPNs who went back and got their RN. And it's like, now I can say I, you know, I'm a real nurse, they would joke around. It was kind of a joke that RN stood for real nurse. And I'm just like, but you were already doing all this stuff. And they were already doing all of this stuff. There's literally no difference in what they were doing, the patient load, everything. So maybe just a couple of little documentation things, but it really was the same. And I'm so glad to have you on here because I want to talk about all that you've done. I want you to tell people where you came from, what do LPNs do, educate people, educate our listeners as to what LPNs do. And I know it's different state to state, but just tell everybody. 
Thank you so much for the introduction, first of all. Oh, my gosh. So, yes, I've been a LPN. LPN stands for Licensed Practical Nurse. And just a little tidbit, a lot of people will ask, like, what's the difference between an LPN and an LVN? Same thing. LPN, Licensed Practical Nurse. LVN is Licensed Vocational Nurse. The only difference is that LVN is basically LPN just in two states, California and Texas. I'm not sure who the person was in California and Texas that was like, you know, we're going to have LPNs, but we're going to name them something different. But just but just California and I, me and Texas, California and Texas is just us. Everybody else, LPNs, but just us, the LVN crew. Not sure who started that, but it makes it very different. <laughs> makes it very difficult <laughs> for like uh, 140 characters or less because you want to be inclusive. <laughs> so you have to say LPN slash LVN. But I have been a licensed practical nurse or LPN since 2014. And I would say that is definitely, well, really while I was in school to get my LPN is really when my eyes were open to the differences and the pretty much the discrimination against LPNs and LVNs. I know I experienced it firsthand. And honestly, I experienced it firsthand like every day, especially every day when I was bedside and working. It was always some remark and it didn't have to be from an RN. It didn't have to be from someone in healthcare. It could be from the patient. You know, it was always some sort of dig at my licensure. And, you know, I remember just being, well, first of all, let me start off by saying with to become an LPN, licensed practical nurse, the N standing for nurse, you have to do pretty much do everything that you would have to do if you were applying to registered nursing school. Just you, It's nursing school, people. <laughs> so you have to take your T's or HESI, your entrance exam for the program of your choice. If you are interested in nursing period, whether it be LPN, RN, whatever, and you're interested in a program near your area, a great way and a great place to start looking is Google LPN or RN programs in insert whatever city or whatever area you're in. First place to start. All the information will come up. And one of the big differences when I put my search in, because I didn't know which I didn't know there was a difference. Well, I knew there was a difference, but I didn't know what the difference was. And so I educated myself. And one of the major differences is that with registered nursing, it's typically depending on if it's my two year or my four year degree, ASN or BSN, it's literally going to be two years or four years. At the time, I was kind of like in between I feel like I was going through my quarter life crisis. I, that's what I say all the time. <laughs> my crisis. I was actually in between figuring out if I wanted to pursue something in microbiology or musical theater. That was when I went to the University of Florida. Those were my two majors. My, my major was microbio and my minor was musical theater. And I was just at this like fork in the road, this impasse where I did not know which direction to go in. And so life happened and I ended up moving to Georgia. And right before I started school, I had to decide what school I wanted to start at. But both school, the school, well, the school that I want to start at, I want to start at Spelman, did not have a nursing program, but it had a musical theater program. And then the other school that I wanted to go to didn't have musical theater. But if I want to do nursing, I can do that. So I was kind of like between the two. And then the biggest thing that 
pretty much had me solidify that I wanted to choose nursing was um, the fact that I can start as an LPN, do the program for a year. It would take 12 to 14 months. My specific program with the school that I chose took 12 months. So I was like, okay, in a year, I'll be done. I did my prereqs because I had microbio and I also had musical theater. So all like my prereqs and everything like that was done. I just had to take my T's and apply. So did that and it was amazing. I did my program. I loved it. Started first day, got my first job as an LPN at a private pain management clinic, the, the one I was telling you about earlier. And that's when reality kind of hit. I remember it was like my first day, honestly. It was my first day. <laughs> my first day. And someone asked me, it was like, I was excited about the fact that it was my first job. It was my first day as a nurse. And it was like, oh, you're an R. They just assumed it was like, oh, where'd you go to RN school? They just assumed and just said RN. And even though they didn't say anything bad, just that assumption and that just like RN was the default and they didn't even just ask the wheels started turning for me in my head. And when I said, I was like, no, LPN, the look on their face was just like, but I thought you were a nurse. And that kind of really started this whole journey, honestly, because I was so confused. Here I was so proud of this journey and this accomplishment. Hello, I'm a nurse. Like, I am a nurse. I graduated nursing school and this board, my the board of the state of Georgia at this point, says that I'm a nurse. It says I have an active license, but for some reason, everybody else in the world does not agree. And so it just, it didn't sit, sit well with me. And the more LPNs that I met, you know, and the more people that were open and willing to share their story, because it's embarrassing and it's kind of hurtful when you talk about like, how, you, yes, you are an LPN. Yes, you're proud of the fact that you're LPN, but you're almost like either afraid to be fr proud because the ridicule is very shortly going to come very soon or someone's making you feel like it's not quite worth it and everything, all the money, tears, sweat, everything that you put into it is still not good enough because even though you are a nurse and everything, all the signs are pointing saying you're a nurse, I'm not going to treat you like a nurse, not in public. And that I didn't like feeling that way. I didn't like looking at other people and knowing that other people were like feeling that way. So I really started spreading the word, honestly. And it didn't become a thing until I was pretty much getting attacked on social media for it. And so, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Because I initially I didn't start the Nurse Sam for LPN advocacy. I started the Nurse Sam to help all nursing students with, you know, my creative resources for studying and stuff like that. You know, even though I'm an LPN and I went through the practical nursing program, I still went through a nursing program. So all that general nursing knowledge that I had and all the creative ways that I had to share, that's why I started the Nurse Sam. And, you know, I was, the more I said the nursing school, nursing school, I'm Nurse Sam, I'm Nurse Sam, you know, my my success grew, but then when people would specifically ask me, oh, what kind of nurse are you? Or where did you go to RN school? The second I said LPN, I would lose a supporter or, you know, someone would be like, oh, 
oh, I thought you're, I thought you taught for RN stuff. I thought it was specific for RN. If you're teaching, um, if you're an LPN, then that means you can only be talking about LPN stuff. And I'm in RN school, so I can't utilize anything or I can't, you know, listen to anything that you're saying because you're going to make me fail. <laughs> and it's all nursing. <laughs> That's the thing. It's all nursing. There really isn't. And I, I don't know specifically the LPN curriculum or, you know, what it looks like. I do know because I had a, a lot of nursing students that followed, the LPN nursing students that followed me while I was doing my travel assignment at this hospital. And I know it's a hard program. I know they told me all about the things that they were studying. They showed me some of their things that they were studying. And what the impression that I got was that it is basically everything that you need to know for your clinical, for an associate's degree crammed into a year. And I don't even know how I learned it in the two-year program, let alone trying to cram all that because it is all in there. It, and they have to learn how to be a nurse. It's not, it, that's what I think a lot of people don't understand. A lot of nurses, maybe associate's degree nurses or bachelor degree nurses, which there's a whole thing between associate's degree nurses and bachelor degree, ner degree nurses as well. <laughs> there's a whole thing there, uh -huh. which makes no sense because I have an associate's degree and a bachelor's degree. My first program was an associate's degree. There's a similar thing where there's an, a it's an ASN or an ADN because it's, it's an associate's degree nurse or an associate's in science of science and nursing or something like that. Same thing. It's all the same. But I had an associate, an ADN or ASN. I don't even. I think it was an ASN. And then I went back and got my bachelor's. And I remember going, okay, this is dumb. This is. It's all like management stuff. There's like it's just extra stuff. Administrative. Yeah, it is a lot of administrative stuff. So you're not really like everything that you learn. You're learning in that associates program. It's like you learn in those first two years. Yeah, and, and everything you're learning in that LPN program, you're learning everything you learn in the associates, you are learning it. You're having to cram it all into that one year. And I know people don't understand that. It's hard to understand something you haven't been through yourself. I don't necessarily pretend to understand it. It's just that I got close enough to these nurses. I've worked alongside. I mean, when I say alongside them, I'm talking about like, I am handing off a patient load of four, five, six patients that I took care of all day long to an LPN. I'm not handing them off to an RN. I'm handing them off to an LPN and nobody's going to help them. They're taking care of that patient load just like I took care of them. But they're making about five to six dollars less an hour. It's so frustrating. That's what I, they're right. That's where I think the breakdown is. The breakdown is that hospitals are allowed to pay them so much less and give them, it, it's like they want to give them the same amount of responsibility, but they want to pay them five, six, who knows how many dollars less an hour. And without the respect or the title. Oh yeah, no no respect. In Florida, or at least when I was, let me not say it now, but in certain hospitals in Florida, even before I was a nurse, because remember that's when I was Marco Bio and musical theater. But at the same time, remember I have the, chronic illness. So I was always in the hospital. <laughs> I was always around nurses, RNs, and the very few LPNs that I was around before they got, before they got their RN and went ahead and bridged or whatever, they weren't even called LPNs. They were called like patient care techs or something, mm, some other title. What? Yes. Some other title. So it's like, okay, 
you're we're not going to give you the title of nurse because it wasn't just nurse. It was like they actually had the badges. And I saw this in Florida and some hospitals in Georgia do this now, too. Where's my badge? I don't know. But it's some (laughs) the badges that say like RNLPN. You know how they have it now? Before it wasn't that. It was just, well, that's how it is now. It's just a nurse. But before it was just RN LPN. So the RNs would obviously have the RN ones, but it was like they refused to make LPN ones. So even if you were an LPN as a nurse, you didn't have LPN badges, but you also did not have nurse badges. You had PCT badges. That's what I'm talking about. The disrespect goes it's into the system. Like but it's they people, still expect you to do the same job. You still calling me in to pick up a nurse shift. I expect for you to call me a nurse. Period. If you're going to expect me to do this job, give me the same respect. Give us all the same respect. I, there was a hospital when I was doing my clinical in my associates uh, program. There was a hospital that would put ASN or BSN on their badges. They would differentiate it between associate's degree nurses and bachelor degree nurses. And I, I that was always, you know, big, a big deal there because, yeah, come on. It's, yeah. It, it, here's Don't the do thing. Do, <laughs> you all know, you guys all know, you all went through nursing school or you're going through nursing school. You know that you don't really, you learn a foundation of information, yes. But you learn the the vast majority of your knowledge, your skills that you obtain, you learn at the bedside while you're working, while you're doing your job and working alongside other nurses and with doctors and with nurse practitioners and PAs. You are learning and continuing your own education. You're learning as you go. So the thing is, everybody kind of gets a foundation. LPNs get that year of like condensed, you know, how you have like Dawn liquid detergent and you've got the ultra concentrated and you've got the one that's kind of watered down. This is like concentrated. You know how I describe it for people that have not been to nursing school, but you've been to college. Have you ever, I don't know if someone's ever been this, but you've always been um, warned not to do this in college. Do not take microbio and anatomy in summer. Have you ever been warned to do that? Not to do that? Yeah, because you're going to cram them all into a shorter amount of time. LPN school is the equivalent of taking every science. Okay, not every science. (laughs) Of taking like your microbio, microbio lab, anatomy one, two, and anatomy one, two, and lab all in summer semester, not just at the same time, not just in fall semester, spring semester, where you get your full, however many weeks of a term is. No, it's summer semester. So not only do you get half the time, but it's also twice as fast. You have to be able to keep up with the academic demand. No, you have to be able to keep up with the timing and the actual physical, mental demand of LPN school, not just nursing school, of this LPN program, because it is it's accelerated. And that word accelerated is scary for a reason. Well, I want people that are listening to this, like nurses, nursing students and everyone, I want us to all realize that we need to respect each other as nurses. We're all nurses and we're all working in this together. We're all working alongside each other, shoulder to shoulder, taking care of patients, learning as we go, trying to f- try to figure it all out. It's such a tough job. We need each other. Especially in these times. Yes, we really do. So we need to be patient with each other and we need to try to stop and 
allow ourselves to be educated about these things, about what's going on. Because I'm telling you, when I say I worked alongside LPNs and there was no difference, there was no difference. There was no difference. I mean, it's literally, I was learning from them. We're learning. That's how you do in nursing. You guys know that. You learn from each other as you go. You have an LPN that's been working uh, as an LPN at the bedside, taking care of patients on a busy med surge floor or a step-down unit or wherever you are for 10 years, 15 years, whatever. And I come along with my couple of years experience or, or whatever, and I'm trying to learn. Do you think that her person doesn't have things to teach me? Of course they do. Of course they do. Because where do we learn the vast majority of our knowledge and skills? It's at the bedside working with patients. These are your allies. We're all allies here. Learn from each other. Be patient with each other. Respect each other as nurses. What I think we should be doing is fighting for equality, all of us. If you have an LPN working at the bedside, taking care of, I'm handing off a patient load to an LPN, I want to fight for that LPN to be getting paid the same amount of money that I'm making. Or how about all of us make more money? We're all, we've all been given so much responsibility. We all have so much responsibility placed on our shoulders. Think about the, the sick patients that we're handed, that we are responsible for monitoring. We are responsible for assessing. And yes, LPNs do assess. You guys. Yes, we do. <laughs> of course they do. Uh, but here's the thing, Sam, like ig this ignorance is out there for a reason. Like it's just kind of gets perpetuated and it's innocent enough. I think registered nurses, a uh, associate nurses, bachelor, whoever, all these nurses that are out there are just ignorant of what goes on. Of course, LPNs can assess. It is within their scope of practice. And it, I know all this is different state to state, but in the state of Tennessee, LPNs cannot do the, and it's still ridiculous. I mean, the really, initial assessment. I, yeah, that whole initial assessment thing is so dumb because they're doing the whole thing. They're doing it all. I'm telling you guys, they're doing it all. They're doing it all. Literally doing it all. I think we have the initial assessment here. Yeah, we have the initial assessment thing here and the TPN and blood you just have to have an RN like sign off or with like a company, like you can do it. You just have to have an RN with you, if that makes sense. Well, except for the initial assessment, they just, the, the RN has to sign off on that. We do it. Yes, you do. Yes, we you do. do. You take care of patients with heparin drips. You take care of patients that are getting blood. Yeah. Just like RNs have to have two licensed personnel to sign off whenever you hang blood. You can't just walk in and hang blood. You're not supposed to, to walk in and or hang blood on a patient. You have to have, or get in certain in certain cases, give insulin. You you have to have another licensed personnel do that. So let's be fighting for each other for that respect. Because what I think should happen after working alongside LPNs and seeing how hard they work, how much they know, the vast knowledge that they have, and the skills that they have, and the lack of respect that they receive, what I think should be happening is that. It, you should not have to go from an LPN to an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree and have to jump these huge hurdles. Because I know that in my own associate's degree course, what I was taking, there were LPNs. They got to skip one little class, one tiny little class, and they had to do the whole rest of the program. When I know they knew how to put in IVs, they knew how to assess patients, they knew how to take, they could like run circles around everybody else, but they were having to do all this stuff. It's ridiculous. This stuff needs to change. I'm telling you, it's just crazy. I don't know. I always say that like, and a lot of people will say, 
oh, I know an LPN or I know XYZ who's an LPN and they can run circles or diamonds or triangles around this person that. And I'm like, why do you think that? Why do you always think, why do you think that whenever someone's referring to an LPN, they're really referring to their skills. They're like praising the fact that they have bomb skills. It's the fact that their schooling was 12 months as opposed to four years. So while you're continuing to learn the same, same thing or whatever year three, this is our third year of experience bedside doing whatever that you're still learning in a book or whoever is still learning in a book. So we have, we're, we're able to jump into the field a lot quicker. And that first one or two years of an RN's education is learning the same stuff than the LPN, that general LPN, that general nursing knowledge, that skills. I think that's what the first two years of an RN program, especially like a BSM program is. And then the, the second the last two years is administrative, which is why like the ASN, BSN and why everyone's like so divided and why a lot of people are like, OK, the LPNs have bomb skills, ASNs have bomb skills. And then BSNs, when they come, very administrative, can run the whole unit if you want to. But then when it comes to like skills and a lot of us judge each other and judge our ability to nurse and judge the fact how well we are of a nurse by our skills. That's why a lot of times there's, just, you know, it's like nurses that work in a doctor's office wouldn't be considered as real of a nurse as a nurse that works in someone's cardiac cath lab or someone's med search floor. It's because all those skills and those things that people think makes you a real nurse, which is subjective and just weird it's really your own definition and a lot of that a lot of times those skills I guess those that definition is someone's skills well it depends on where you work I mean you think I could walk into a doctor's office and just start doing it be a nurse and uh, no I would have no idea what to do there are my husband has come has gone to a doctor before come back and be like hey the nurse is the second she looked at this dress she knew exactly what it was I didn't know what it was because I don't see that stuff. We all have our specialties. We all have the things that we're used to. to now, if I were to go work in a doctor's office, I guarantee you in six months to a year, I would know my crap because I like knowing my crap. So I'd be learning. I want to know everything about it. That's the way those nurses are. That's the way most nurses are. So we all like whatever we get into, we're going to dig our teeth into. We're going to dig our heels in. We're going to learn wherever we are. When I started working in uh, the cardiovascular intensive care unit, I started learning cardiac. I want to learn, I want to know everything cardiac. You put me on a neuro floor, I will flounder. I'm going to be like, oh God, no, please help me. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to be looking at my coworkers, my nurses alongside of me that are, I'm going to be like, hey, neuro nurse, can you help me out with this neuro assessment? Can you help me out with this shunt or whatever in the crap it is? You, you put me on a med surge floor and you give me seven patients that these nurses are able to somehow handle, I will die. I will just absolutely die. Now, can I figure it out? Eventually, yes, because we all adapt. We will all adapt to our, our we will all acclimate and adapt to our environment and our surroundings because what? We're nurses. We're all nurses and we're, we all adapt to wherever we are. We all need to Gather together, be in this together, all of us. Don't look down your nose at somebody else based on their education or based on their experience or wherever they worked, didn't work, whatever. We're all nurses. We're all wonderful people because we got into this profession 
because we want to take care of other people. Period. End of story. Period. End of story. And we all survived that horrible monster that's the NCLEX. Why can't we just bond over that? Whew. Yes. Why can't we bond over that? Yeah. That's a we big deal. NCLEX. My, my name's on the board of my state board of nurses. It says active. What about yep. you? Yes. High five. Go yes. us. Nurses unite. I We're feel like all that's nurses. What we right. We need to be fighting for equality. We need to be fighting for equal pay. We need to be fighting for all of us to be elevated. Not uh, We need more nurses. We need more nurses at the bedside. We need to be fighting for respect across the board for all nurses to be treated with the respect that we deserve based upon the amount of responsibility that's placed on our shoulders every day when we go in to do our jobs. Absolutely. I agree. Thank you, Sam, so much. Will you tell everybody, because we didn't even get to talk about, you guys, look, I we haven't even talked about this. Sam is like super talented. I can't emphasize enough. I am not over-exaggerating when I say she's talented. She sent me her her kit, and I'm just like, I'm so impressed. I could never do anything like that. Sam, just to explain to them real fast, like, what it is that you do for nursing students. Yes. Okay. So I create, well, really fun and entertaining resources for all types of nursing students, RN and LPN, to help you get into nursing school, survive nursing school, and graduate and pass the NCLEX. We all know how rough it is inside nursing school. Okay. It's test after test. You have to just remember a whole mountain load of content and information in like five seconds flat before going on to the next (laughs) mountain load of information. And that can become overwhelming and just daunting. And so I know for me, when I was in nursing school, I needed to be entertained. I needed to have fun when I was studying. So I created basically study guides that allowed me to have fun while I was studying. I call them study kits. And they're either themed after like pop culture, music, food, you know, anything entertaining and fun so that when you're looking at it and you're studying it, you have a smile on your face or you're having a nostalgic moment. So I have one off Beyonce, Monopoly, Rugrats, and it really just really transports you and it really transforms the material so that when you're actually trying to absorb it and retain it, it actually sticks a lot longer and you're actually able to comprehend it faster because you're actually entertained when you're looking at the material. So I've created like 25 different study kits and I even made a big bundle of like 400 pages that has everything in one. And it's called, well, my website's thenursesam.com. It's all in the Nurse Sam study bar. I've named everything, the nursing school study bar. I have study gummies. All right, which are nootropics to help you. I know for me, I could have sworn I was ADHD and I'm still kind of convinced I'm ADHD. So I don't have that diagnosis, but I was just super unmotivated. Just I couldn't focus on anything. So I created these gummy bears or these herbal supplements. They're called nootropics, which basically means smart drugs. And I thought I had it. Yep, right here. 
<laughs> and they're basically strawberry flavored gummy bears to help you increase your focus, your mental clarity and your motivation. It's great to pop right before like a test, right before you start clinicals or before you go take your NCLEX or your T's. And it really just keeps you sharp, motivated, and it helps you to tap into your memory and to really grab everything that you retained before. So all that in a fun and funky way. Thenursam.com. Yeah, the nursesam.com you guys definitely go check that out and don't think if you're a nursing student you can learn from this. Like she t- she passed the NCLEX, she took the NCLEX just like we all had to do and just like you're going to have to do. And when I say it's creative and fun, it's I'm, I'm telling you, creative fun easy to remember like stuff that you're gonna you're gonna be like oh wow you're not you know it's the kind of like fun catchy kind of things that memorization tricks that sort of thing very very creative you guys are gonna love it i know you are and you guys know you can find us of course goodnursebadnurse.com and you we're on uh social media goodnursebadnurse and i also want to remind you that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy be a good nurse no matter what kind of nurse all nurses be good.